Glory to Jesus Christ, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their history, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois, and this is the story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by the iconography of Father Thomas J. Loya. Father Loya's iconography for your prayer and home devotion may be obtained by going to MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com. That's MorningstarBooksAndGifts.com. Then click on the Art and Decorative link and click on Icons in the drop-down or call 630-629-1720. Morningstar Books and Gifts, 28 West St. Charles Street, Lombard, Illinois. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. We always do enjoy hearing from you, our listeners. First of all, first and foremost, we enjoy the fact that you even listen in, and especially those of you who do so faithfully. Really appreciate it. Every once in a while, you do let us know, and we appreciate that. I did get a letter recently from a listener, and his name is Al. Al from San Jose, California. Lots of lots of listeners out there in California. We appreciate that. So we're going to do a little hello out to you, all of you in sunny California. But this is what Al writes. Slava Jesus Christu. That, of course, is the Slavonic language. And that's the term or the greeting that I give to you on this program. Glory to Jesus Christ. So that's in Slavonic. So glory to Jesus Christ is said in Slavonic, the mother tongue of our church. Slava Jesus Christu. Okay, so he begins his letter. Slava Jesus Christu. I am a regular listener of your weekly program, Light of the East. Yesterday, your brother, who is a deacon, stated that his Orthodox bishop friend was the first Orthodox celebrant of the sacred liturgy at the tomb of St. Peter's. Okay, before I go on with the letter, I just want to correct something, uh, Al. It wasn't my brother who he featured. My brother is a deacon. You got that right. In fact, newly ordained, proud to say, my brother Gregory. But the guest on Light of the East that you're referring to was Jack Fiegel. He's not my blood brother. He's my brother in the Lord, of course. He's a fellow Byzantine Catholic, and he is the publisher of Eastern Christian Publications. He's the head of OLTV and also of the Orient Time Lumen Conferences. And Jack does a lot of ecumenical work internationally. But anyway, he was on the program, and he was referring to his experience with an Orthodox bishop, Bishop Sevalod, who is of blessed memory now. So let me just make that correction, give it a little background. Now I'll continue with Al's letter. Al says this, I thought that the first Orthodox priest or bishop to do this, in other words, to celebrate the liturgy on the tomb of St. Peter's, was Metropolitan Nicodim, 
of the Russian Orthodox Church. In the 1970s, he was suspected, quote-unquote, of being a crypto-Catholic by some and accused of being a KGB agent by others. For example, as mentioned by George Weigel in his latest book on John Paul II, Nicodem died of a heart attack while visiting with Pope John Paul I in the Vatican. Also, I was wondering if any attempts have been made to correct the injustice done to Father Alexis Toth, who, by force of circumstances, had to go over to the Orthodox along with thousands of his followers. Has this case been reopened by the Holy See or by the Ruthenian Catholics and Orthodox? How are your relationships with your separated brothers doing these days? Are you working for reconciliation? I would be grateful if you could enlighten me about these matters. Sincerely, in the Lord Jesus, Al. Well, Al from San Jose, California, I want to thank you for your letter. It's an interesting one, and I have to be honest with you, I have to look up, and I did consult with one expert so far, but I'm going to look up the historical facts of what Al is saying here, that maybe, in fact, rather than it being... Archbishop Sevalod, who was the first, at least in recent history, maybe ever, to celebrate, Orthodox bishop, to celebrate on the tomb of St. Peter, that maybe, in fact, it was the Orthodox Metropolitan Nicodem of the Russian Orthodox Church. I will research that for you, and I will have the answer. Getting close to it, Al, so I do thank you for bringing that up. As far as the other question of Alexis Toth, that also is a very interesting one. For those of you who may not be familiar with Father Alexis Toth, that's a, a really incredible part of the history of the Byzantine Catholic or the Greek Catholic churches in America and the Orthodox Church in America. In fact, in the development of the Orthodox Church in America, today that Orthodox Church is called the OCA, which is an abbreviation for the Orthodox Church of America. It's kind of a group of Orthodox churches that have their respective ethnic roots, but have come together as a part of a church that is trying to be the Orthodox Church in America, even over and above their ethnic roots. In other words, they're not just serving their own people. They are serving their own people, of course, and in honor to their ethnic roots, but at the same time, they go beyond that as well. They realize that they're in North America now, and they have to minister to people here. So they got together under the organization called OCA, which stands for Orthodox Church of America. And one of the ways that this started was actually from the Eastern Catholic churches, especially with a priest by the name of Father Alexis Toth, who was a priest from my particular church. In other words, he was a Ruthenian Byzantine Catholic, or at that time was called Greek Catholic. Now, we're talking about the early 1890s, around that time, when the Eastern Catholic priests began to first come to America from Central Europe. In other words, the people and the priests from my church. Usually, the priests came after the people. The people tended to come here first looking for work and so on, you know, in the New World at the time. And then eventually, the priests came. The people would come and build churches, and they would then bring their priests over. Usually that was the pattern. And during that time, the priests that came over were, of course, married Byzantine Catholic or Greek Catholic priests, which was a source of great consternation, even scandal to the Latin Rite clergy, who were the reigning clergy in North America at the time. The Latin Rite had been well established for a much longer time, and of course much, much larger as usual. And so it was in North America. So when our priests came over here at the time, this is the 1880s, 1890s, early 1900s, what happened was the Latin Rite clergy, and this is kind of a sad aspect of history in the, in the Church of America, but we are healing from it and working it out. The Latin Rite clergy being a bit scandalized by these newcomers who call themselves Catholic, yet had things like married priests and had a different kind of liturgy. 
they created a kind of a ruckus, as it were, an ecclesiastical ruckus, and they pressed Rome until finally Rome came out in 1927 in a document called Cum Dottafueret and said that all priests in the New World, at that time America was referred to as the New World, all priests in the New World would have to be celibate, across the board. In other words, there could be no more married Catholic priests, either Eastern or Latin, in North America. That was Rome's way of attempting to kind of quell this controversy and keep the peace. That officially happened in a document, March 1st, 1927, Cum Dottafueret. And what happened after that is where Father Alexis Toth comes in. Well, to make a long kind of story short, kind of rather sordid story, but interesting story nonetheless, is that as our clergy suddenly found themselves in a position where a venerable tradition of the Eastern Catholic churches was being taken away from them, that being married priests in America, that some of them began to, of course, find that to be very disturbing, and they reacted to it. One of those people was Father Alexis Toth. Now, Father Alexis Toth, interestingly enough, was a widower. And what happened was when he came over from Eastern Europe, from where our church came from, from Central Europe, he came over and he, like all Eastern Catholic clergy at the time, had to report into the local Latin Rite Bishop because we were Eastern Catholic, we were part of the Catholic Church, but at the time we did not have our own bishop in America. And as he reported in, he reported in to a bishop named John Ireland, who was the bishop of Minneapolis St. Paul, Minnesota. And when he came to report into Bishop Ireland, Bishop Ireland was a bit scandalized by this priest who was different and who was married, even though that was in the past. He was a widower, as I mentioned. Well, one thing led to another, and they really bumped heads, and words were exchanged, according to a lot of the historical documents and stories. <laughs> and it ended up with Father Alexis Toth then breaking from union with Rome and returning to orthodoxy, but along with him went literally thousands of Eastern Catholics who felt that they were very, very wronged by the Latin church at the time. In other words, they were betrayed. You see, the Eastern Catholic churches were made up of those Orthodox churches, people and priests and bishops who were part of the Orthodox churches who reunited with Rome beginning in the 15th and 16th centuries. And in doing so, they were promised that they could retain all that they were, all their traditions, including having married clergy, and still be in full communion with the Pope of Rome, the way it was before the Great Schism. The Great Schism was in 1054 AD. So beginning in the 15th and 16th centuries, parts of the Orthodox churches began to reunite with Rome and Rome with them, with the understanding that they could be as they were, but in full communion with Rome. So you can imagine the sense of betrayal that when our priests, the Eastern Catholic priests, reported into the local Latin Rite ordinaries, not all of them, but some of them, the most famous of which was Bishop Ireland of Minneapolis-St. Paul, you can imagine that when they reported in and they were treated this way, how, how much they felt betrayed to the point where, in the case of Father Toth, Alexis Toth, he left the Catholic Church, left the Catholic Communion, and returned to Orthodoxy and many, many people with him. And that was the beginnings, really, of the Orthodox Church in America, as we know it today, which has developed quite a bit over the, the decades. Now, Father Alexis Toth, to answer the question of our reader, Al, from San Jose, California, Father Alexis Toth's case, to my knowledge, has not been reopened or looked at again by the Vatican or by the Eastern Catholic Churches, to my knowledge. But what did happen, though, 
is that the Orthodox Church in America declared Father Toth a saint. Now, how we react to that in the Eastern Catholic Churches is very interesting. Is it something that we acknowledge and understand because he certainly was courageous and was certainly standing upon principle? Or is it kind of a thumb in our eye from the Orthodox, as it were? I don't know which one it is, actually. We're probably still sifting through our reaction. But that is the basic history of it. There's a whole lot more details. It's a fascinating bunch of details as it is. It's all, our, our history always is. But basically, in a nutshell, that's what happened. Eastern Catholic priests came here. They were not always accepted. In fact, sometimes even persecuted in a certain way. Some of them got angry as a result of that and broke with communion with Rome and returned to Orthodoxy. But always, along with them, went the many of the laity, the rank and file. So that's a little bit of the history of the Church in America, the Orthodox Church in America, the Eastern Catholic Churches, and the Latin Rite Church. But again, we are trying to work towards unity and healing, and that's what this program is about, Light of the East. I do hope you'll stay with us because we have some other very timely letters to read to you when we return. I'm Father Thomas Loya. You're listening to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, and I'm inviting you to Prairie Fest. This year's fest features a 5K run, beanbag tournament, and trivia contest. Experience the reverential awe of our church interior and take a meditative walk for our award-winning landscape. Prairie Fest. No admission charge. Prairie Fest kicks off at 7, Friday evening, August 12th, with music by the Tinley Park Arts Alive Jazz Band. Then Saturday, August 13th at 2.30, the U of I Guys Band, playing your favorite hits. Later, at 7, the fabulous Neverly Brothers. That's why I go for that rock and roll music. On Sunday, August 14th at 11.30 a.m., Polka with Eddie Wozonczyk's Versatones on their farewell tour. Oh, how I miss you. Followed by Harvest Moon at 3. Prairie Fest, $5,000 grand prize raffle. Details at ByzantineCatholic.com on the events page. Friday through Sunday, August 12th through the 14th at Annunciation Parish, 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. All right, we're back here on Light of the East. I'm glad that you are with us. We were talking about a little bit of history in North America in response to a letter from our listener out in San Jose, California, Al. I want to, again, I want to thank you, Al, for writing to us. And we do appreciate any of your letters and comments. So please, we'd like to hear from you. We always appreciate it. And we like the fact that you hear from us. <laughs> Thanks again for listening to all of you who do listen, especially those who are very faithful. And many of those who are faithful are out in California. So again, I want to thank you and salute you and say hello to you and say glory to Jesus Christ to you, which is, our, of course, our official greeting in the Byzantine Catholic Church. But we we're talking about the Orthodox and the Roman Catholic Church and the Eastern Catholic Churches and their relations and how at the beginning of the 20th century and the end of the 1880s, 1890s, around that time, and into the 1930s especially, all that era there was very, very rocky between the three of us, a lot of schisms and splits and misunderstandings. But as I mentioned, over time, a lot of this has healed. There's a long way to go. And I'd like to point to a bit of progress and something I'm rather proud about of the Orthodox churches, my own church, and also the, of the Roman Catholic Church. And that has to do with a very pivotal issue that has happened and is happening and continuing to unfold in America today. And that, of course, is the issue of civil unions, same-sex civil unions, and so-called same-sex marriage and the recognition of that. As you know, 
In New York State, recently, same-sex marriage is now recognized as legal. In my own state here of Illinois, they legalized same-sex civil unions and did so in kind of a ceremony that seemed to mock marriage itself. Well, the Orthodox bishops, proud to say, my brothers and sisters in the Orthodox Church, although we're not in communion with each other yet in full communion, but nonetheless, they are brothers and sisters, proud to say they got together and made a statement. They jumped right on this. It's the Orthodox Bishop's Statement on Same-Sex Unions. It's a moral crisis in our nation. This is from orthodoxytoday.org. That's orthodoxytoday.org. This, and my Orthodox brethren will, will understand if I say this. I don't say this critically, but it is something that is a fact. It's oftentimes difficult for the Orthodox churches to, to come together as closely or as unilaterally on things as the West does because of the different style of ecclesiology. But in this case, the Orthodox did come together very quickly. In fact, this letter is signed, and I'll read them off, because I think it's, it's very worthwhile. Archbishop Demetrius, Chairman, the Greek Orthodox Archdiocese of America, Metropolitan Herman, Orthodox Church in America, Metropolitan Philip, Vice Chairman, Antiochian Orthodox Christian Archdiocese of North America, Archbishop Nikolai, Romanian Orthodox Archdiocese in America and Canada, Metropolitan Christopher, Secretary, Serbian Orthodox Church in the USA and Canada, Metropolitan Joseph, Bulgarian Eastern Orthodox Church, Metropolitan Nicholas of Amisos, American Carpatho-Russian Orthodox Diocese in the USA, Metropolitan Constantine, Ukrainian Orthodox Church in the USA, Bishop Elia of Philomelion, Albanian Orthodox Diocese of America. Those are the lists of the bishops who signed this letter. And this letter says this, it's the SCOBA Statement on Moral Crisis in Our Nation. As members of the Standing Conference of the Canonical Orthodox Bishops in the Americas, meaning SCOBA, representing more than 5 million Orthodox Christians in the United States, Canada, and Mexico, we are deeply concerned about recent developments regarding same-sex unions. The Orthodox Christian teaching on marriage and sexuality, firmly grounded in Holy Scripture, 2,000 years of church tradition, and canon law, holds that marriage consists in the conjugal union of a man and a woman and that authentic marriage is blessed by God as a sacrament of the church. Neither scripture nor holy tradition blesses or sanctions such a union between persons of the same sex. Holy scripture attests that God creates man and woman in his own image and likeness, Genesis 1, 27-31, that those called to do so might enjoy a conjugal union that ideally leads to procreation. While not every marriage is blessed with the birth of children, every such union exists to create of a man and a woman, a new reality of one flesh. This could only involve a relationship based on gender complementarity. God made the male and female, so they are no longer two but one flesh. Mark 10, 6-8. The union between a man and a woman, the sacrament of marriage, reflects the union between Christ and his church. Ephesians 5, 21-33. As such, marriage is necessarily monogamous and heterosexual. With this union, sexual relations between a husband and wife are to be cherished and protected as a sacred expression of their love that has been blessed by God. Such was God's plan for his human creatures from the very beginning. Today, however, this divine purpose is increasingly questioned, challenged, or denied, even within some faith communities. As social and political pressures work to normalize, legalize, and even sanctify same-sex unions. The Orthodox Church cannot and will not bless same-sex unions, whereas marriage between a man and a woman is a sacred institution ordained by God. Homosexual union is not. Like adultery and fornication, homosexual acts are condemned by Scripture. Romans 1, 1 Corinthians 6, 1 Timothy 1. This being said, however, we must stress that persons with a homosexual orientation are to be cared for with the same mercy and love that is bestowed by our Lord Jesus Christ 
upon all of humanity. All persons are called by God to grow spiritually and morally toward holiness. As heads of the Orthodox Churches in America, members of the SCOBA, we speak with one voice in expressing our deep concern over recent developments. And we pray fervently that our nation will honor and preserve the traditional form of marriage as an enduring and committed union only between a man and a woman. In accordance with a sign by the Orthodox bishops. So I'm very proud of our Orthodox brethren, but I'm also proud of my own bishop, Bishop John Kudrick, representing the Eastern Catholic Churches, who, in his homily, addressed this issue and the issue of marriage. And his homily was part of a whole context, a whole weekend, actually a whole year-long observance of marriage, of the dignity, the holiness, the goodness of sacramental marriage. Here is my bishop, Bishop John Kudrick, the bishop of the Byzantine Catholic Eparch of Parma, in his homily on marriage. Hope speaks to us of the now and the not yet. To have hope implies that we need not be satisfied with what is now, that there may be a better tomorrow. It allows us to have the courage to proceed even when experiencing difficulty and apparent roadblocks on our life journey. Our festival of hope at the Cathedral of St. John in Parma combined the theme of hope with that of marriage, our year-long focus. The focus on marriage builds on decades of concern for and attention to marriages. But now we find that we must defend and promote the very institution of marriage. On the 1st of May, I was blessed to be able to be in Rome for the beatification of blessed Pope John Paul II. While there, I learned that in Pakistan, Osama bin Laden was killed. Both actions provided hope to perhaps differing groups of people. The killing of a man, as necessary as that may have been militarily, will provide little lasting hope. Someone will step up to take his place as long as decisions are made without God, without love. The attention given to Pope John Paul taught, among other lessons, that love is the only true sign of hope. It was hope that brought Pope John Paul to forgive his attempted assassin and allowed the Holy Father to proceed with his faith journey. It was his Christ-centered, love-centered leadership that brought a collapse to communist atheism. It may be, however, that the longest-lived legacy of this Pope will be his teaching on love as experienced in sacramental marriage. Pope John Paul taught that marriage is a God-designed principle that bears within itself the germ of man's ultimate future. He went on to say that as a sacrament of living day to day, it provides us an irreplaceable hope. Various human ideas and plans give a ray of hope for today or even for future centuries but only the salvation in Jesus Christ can provide hope for eternity. God's gift to us of true sacramental marriage is a symbol of how that can be. Modern society faces a lot of challenges to its very existence. In the last 50 years alone, many moral issues have been faced. On the one side, Racial, disability, and faith-based discrimination has been condemned by society. But on the other side, in the name of individual rights, sexual mores are attacked 
And now God-designed marriage is being redefined. Just this Friday, New York joined five other states that redefined marriage away from the ages-long understanding of one man and one woman in a lifelong relationship. We hear in the Gospel of Jesus calling the apostles. This calling and the men's response is recounted to remind us that we, individually and as Christ's Church, are also called and are expected to respond as well. After the call of the apostles, we hear how, quote, Jesus toured all of Galilee. He taught in the synagogues, proclaimed the good news of the kingdom, and cured the people of every disease and illness. This is the work the apostles were expected to do. This is the work the church is expected to do. Like Jesus in the gospel, the church, you and I, must teach in the public arena as Jesus taught in the synagogues. The church, you and I, must proclaim the good news of the kingdom to the entire world as Jesus did. The church, you and I, must bring healing to a very sick world. There is hope to give to the world. We, the church, are the only ones who can give it because we collaborate with Jesus Christ, who is the hope of the world. The very meaning of marriage leads us to understand how all of humanity, though very different, must complement each other to form a unity that extends into eternity, into the fullness of the kingdom of God. Our Byzantine church has its contribution. From our teaching on divinization or theosis, we know that our salvation comes by our following Christ through a lifetime, not just a momentary decision. Certainly, married couples learn this through their journey together as one. This process will be the only way that humanity will be united as well. Jesus is saying to you and me, Come after me, and I will make you fishers of men. He's calling us at this point in history to do that by defending and promoting in the public arena that marriage is of God and is necessary if humanity is to continue on its journey to the fullness of the kingdom of God. Nothing short of this will provide sure hope. CRI, Catholic Radio International.com.